From our offices in Media City, Dubai, I'm John Lillywhite and this is the UAE Tech Podcast Expo Edition, a celebration of how technology is reshaping culture, economics and governance for the 21st century, brought to you by Albawaba Business. If you're interested in sponsoring the UAE Tech Podcast, tune in at the end of this episode for more information. One of the things that we are working on, and it's part of our long-term strategy, is that these capsules will be developed and manufactured here in the UAE with the plan of exporting them worldwide. We are really planning on donating a capsule for every 50 that we develop that will go to a place where agriculture is not even an option. Alanoud Al-Hashimi is the founder and CEO of The Futurist Company, a project management company working in renewable energy, fintech and agritech. While the UAE has a thriving technology ecosystem, the country does need greater domestic R&D capacity and is exploring ways to invest in longer term deep tech projects alongside academia and the private sector. Here, one industry that doesn't always get the attention it deserves is agriculture. Food security has always been a priority for the United Arab Emirates. Decades ago, the UAE embarked on an ambitious food security diversification program, investing in farmland and food supply chains across the planet. It's a testament to the success of that program that the UAE managed to keep shelves stocked throughout COVID-19. But what if a country in the desert could actually export food? It does sound a little miraculous, but theoretically, it could be possible. Tune in for a discussion with Alanoud on Agritech and how the Gaia project is bringing NASA space technology to delivery truck-sized farming capsules. Each capsule is environmentally controlled and energy and water self-sufficient. So the idea of a circular economy is beginning to filter out of the policy community into the broader tech industry. But can the UAE overcome its challenges in R&D to develop and export solutions to the rest of the world? Alanoud al-Hashimi believes so. Alanoud al-Hashimi, thank you so much for joining us today on the UAE Tech Podcast. Um, So jumping right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about The Futurist? Um, Thank you for having me, John. And it's a pleasure to be um, with you here talking about technology and innovation. My name is Zulunud Al-Hashmi. I'm the CEO and founder of The Futurist Company. And what we do at The Futurist Company, we help developing the future by working on future-facing projects. And that's maybe something that we're going to go more into details later on. Yeah, 100%. I mean... Oh, uh, what about your previous experience? Because I know you've worked in the private sector and in government here in the UAE. So what was that experience like for you? And why did it kind of lead in a way towards this interest in technology and future technology solutions? I, I was very lucky to be in the places uh, that I worked in and, and be within that environment and rub shoulder with leadership in the UAE. So worked in different government and semi-government and even in the private sector, uh, different entities. And that helped me to have an overall understanding of business, first of all, 
understand more about how the UAE strategy works, how the government work and how, whether it's, it's a local city government or federal government, all of that gave me a lot of perspective. And um, the reason that led me to the futures company was, I think, mix. I do believe it's the mix between my passion, what I'm really passionate about, because I always worked in um, projects that have sustainability, and it used to be called CSR back then, uh, social responsibility, environmental project, and it used to be with the marketing and comms department. But now it became more than that, and it became more part of a business model, and it became more part of the company's ESG. And, and I, I really believed in it, and I always was part of it, and I loved the idea of working with people, a brilliant team that believes in the same thing, and all of us work towards one thing, which is making the future a better place and helping companies and individuals to be part of that. Yeah, it's funny that point you mentioned on how kind of CSR has um, transitioned into something else, which is also about finding solutions both in the private sector and in government. And the way we even talk about some of these problems has changed. Um, you know, moving into that, so what is it that the futurist company does? What are the kind of key challenges that you're looking at today that excite you? The thing that excites me is the same thing that scares me about the future. So uh, we're looking into um, how we can have food uh, using sustainable methods. So everything that we work on, all these future-facing projects is about developing a solution with the planet in mind. So we consider the planet in every aspect in the business model. Um, how does that work? So we're focusing on, in the meantime, on food security, water, air and some of the fun aspects because even entertainment is important we we are part of this um world that we're used to having concerts and having fun and we need our food and we want the restaurants and a certain life is standard and we're trying to cater for things but what's more important the most priority or the most important thing we're focusing on is food water and air yeah and those are pretty critical things to focus on um, and I also think they're quite, you know, what's interesting about the futurist is you've got three uh, very clear kind of case studies or, or uh, challenges or opportunities, depending on how you look at it, that, that you're working on. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more, more broadly, actually, why is it that the, it's those challenges that you've chosen? Is it something, is food security something that you know is going to be an issue going forwards? Is energy something that you know is going to be an issue going forwards? So why are those your key practice areas? And also I noticed that you don't describe your work as consultancy. It's project management. So could you tell our audience a little bit about what the difference between the two is when you're working on something, you know, uh, that has relevance on a wide, wide, uh, for a wide proportion of the population and for the government? That's an interesting point, and I think it's important. Um, so the, the reason that we focus on food security, because it is critical, um, and maybe I, I mentioned that before, but it's very important to repeat it and say it to people because it does really resonate when you understand these information, why it's important. Climate change is not going to go anywhere anytime soon. For every degree that increases in temperature, Cecilia's, we're losing 10% of arable land with a population that's increasing. 
that means that the land that producing fresh produce for us, fruits and vegetables will not be available. Gradually it's decreasing. We need to find solutions. We humans have developed so many technologies, but we work in silos, so we need to integrate them. And that's when we came and worked on Gaia. And Gaia is a solution for food security, using very sustainable, using renewable energy, no chemicals, no pesticides, not using electricity of the grid, which is another problem with most of the agritech solutions, because we're trying to provide us with food, but we're harming the planet. And that doesn't make sense. That's not helping with the climate change, the actual initial problem. So we need to find solutions by integrating different technologies and systems. And that's what we were capable of uh, doing with Gaia. Uh, coming to your next point, um, uh, you mentioned why we, why I, I don't see it. I don't like people calling us this consultancy. In the end of the day, when we work with, um, which we do a lot of collaborations and a lot of partnerships, and that's how the future is going to be: integrating different, let's uh, um, say, experiences and putting together different technologies and different teams, um, because we all need our minds to work together to find these solutions. And why I say that? Because when you get something done, a project finalized from A to Z, it's project management consultancy, it's me giving you some data and research and information and that's it, and telling you this is the best thing you can do, but we actually develop the solutions. So we do a lot of R&D, but we develop the solutions as well. And that's the most important thing that you and humanity and you, John and me have that solution available. Yeah, I mean, that is really interesting. I think the research and development aspect is super important and that definitely distinguishes you. Um, from a lot of consultants. And I think also your point about converging different technologies, that's really at the heart of, of what we call a fourth industrial revolution. It's one of the trends we've discussed a lot on the podcast. It's one of the reasons we're so happy to talk to you today, because as you mentioned, there's so many disparate technologies. You know, you think of food security, there's so many different technologies that you have to combine into creating some of these solutions. Now, you mentioned Gaia, um, and I had a look at the case study for that. Um, again, I am not an expert, so please excuse me if I get this completely wrong. You'll have to correct me. But I, I saw it and thought it was so interesting. For the audience, I'll, I'll try and describe it in layman's terms. But basically, it was kind of, it looked like a large capsule or almost a kind of truck trailer. And inside it, you had um, self-sustaining energy and water systems. So presumably if the grid went off or if a local water system went down, the capsule would still be operating. And inside it, you had these kind of almost, um, I don't know what the word is, but crops that are being synthetically or artificially grown in this environment. And there's also some very interesting statistics. It was based on NASA technology. It argues there's a 30% higher yield, higher revenues. And in some instances, you can grow up to 16 metric tons per annum per capsule per truck. So I think that gives the audience um, a really a really great introduction to some of what you're working on, the different technologies involved, obviously, you know, water, um, energy, uh, new types of farming. So is that a good introduction to Gaia? And, and what is it really trying to do uh, and to achieve for the UAE? John, I might be offering you a job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <well>. excellent. <laughs> that was brilliant. That was really brilliant. It is a solution that what we did, and it's the amazing team, you know, it's all the brains, the, the scientists and technologists that really worked on Gaia from scratch. And it's a lot of effort and I have to give it to them because 
there's a lot of failures in the process of developing Gaia. You test and you keep testing until it works. And because you have these amazing people with talent, talent and skill and, and knowledge, they developed this amazing solution. And we were able to bring this to life. The team have worked to look into all the different solutions available and see the problems and alter that and make it a good thing. So how to fix all the negatives or let's say the weaknesses into a strength. So that's what we did using a lot of electricity, we want to remove that even from a water point of view we have actually where we have actually developed a solution where we're looking into how we can get the the water from the air so by that we will we'll all be sustainable from that aspect so when we're talking about energy and water we will be you can put the capsule anywhere and it will be independent producing food that is the solutions that we need for the future and it's easy to move you can move it you can move it from one location to another. That's very important. When we're talking about supply chain, we're talking about distribution point. It's very easy to move the capsules. So there's so many aspects that we considered at Gaia. The most important thing that Gaia does, integrating 10 different systems and technologies together, is making good quality of bio-organic, so organic quality food affordable for everyone. I'm not happy when I go and I see organic, the most expensive things. That means the healthy option is the most expensive option. And that is not food security solution. We need to find a solution that makes it affordable for everyone. So it's good quality and affordable. And that's what Gaia is. I was going to actually ask you about that. And um, because I have this, this um, famous story of buying an apple at quite an upmarket store uh, in California a couple of years ago. And I brought this beautiful red apple, you know, it looked perfect. And obviously I'm, I'm British, but, but I'm also European. So I've grew up in Europe to some extent where food is, you know, good food is very, very important, you know, not up for debate and bought this apple. And then I went away, I think it was for almost two weeks and I came back and I opened the fridge and the apple looked exactly the same. <laughs> and I was absolutely horrified, you know, and it became this big story because I'd never seen an apple that didn't, you know, decay or show any natural signs of, of change. And I think, you know, when it is, it, when it comes to food, it is sensitive and, and you worry about kind of the profit incentives in, in some markets. But at the same time, you understand, you know, this is something that has to be looked at. It has to be looked at for, you know, particularly during COVID-19, where in, in countries all over the world, shelves were in, empty and prices are already skyrocketing for, for, for basic necessities. So that is also a very big challenge, isn't it? The economics of it, making sure that ordinary people can have access to an apple that isn't, you know, it doesn't just look like an apple. It has the sustenance and, and, and the healthiness of an apple. That's very true. And, and one of the things that we are working on, and it's part of our uh, long-term strategy, is that uh, these capsules will be developed and manufactured here in the UAE with the plan of exporting them worldwide. We are really planning on donating a, a capsule for every 50 that we develop that will go to a place where agriculture is not even an option. We really believe in this. And we know that, that when we have food on our table, healthy, good quality food, we'll be able to focus more on education, on developing our countries, on other aspects that are important as well. A hungry person can never do anything. And we believe that that's a very important element. Yeah, I think there's there's definitely a key um, use case there, you know, in, in areas of the world where you have to travel significant distances to get to your local store. Um, 
or in parts of the world where education is difficult just because, you know, no one wants to build a school there because there's nowhere to get basic provisions. Um, this idea of kind of modular farming is, is completely new in a way um, and, and really fascinating. And I'm sure there's all sorts of, uh, you know, entities and, and missions that would be interested in that. Um, and it's also a case study, I guess, of the UAE, um, not just importing technology, but trying to export technology. And do, do you think that's something that's going to happen more and more here? Oh, definitely. I'm 100% sure about it. Um, there is an amazing uh, and, and, and a very interesting strategy, 300 billion strategy, make it in the Emirates as well. And um, we're really focusing on, and, on how and the government have been announcing um, a lot of, let's say, policies and regulations that actually will boost that. And that's very critical for us, uh, looking into how we can, we have the talent, we have the skills here, and even like finding the infrastructure is amazing in the UAE for any kind of manufacturing. And, and, it, and I went through that process myself, looking for different options. The UAE have great potential when it comes to manufacturing, and we definitely want to be part of it. Yeah, I think manufacturing is, is a really important industry, and we haven't done enough on it um, in, in, the, in the podcast series. Uh, we did a little bit on 3D printing, and we, and we talked to guys that had basically set up 3D printing centers in schools across the UAE. And that was a really interesting episode. But I agree with you completely, you know, and of course, manufacturing is something that that we've overlooked in the UK and the States and, and, and Europe for, for some time as well now. And I think policymakers are just beginning to understand, you know, how important having a good manufacturing base is, because as you hinted at earlier, it can lead to applications across so many different sectors. True. That's very um, true. So, you know, I think connected to that as well, um, I know from a previous episode, we uh, had Dorian Barak um, here talking on the Abraham Accords and talking on the technology market in Israel and what the synergy might be with the UAE. And one of the core industries that he pointed to was the Israeli uh, agritech and vertical farming industry. And he basically said, look, you guys and us, we have some of the same challenges. And although we've been working in this space for a couple of decades now, and so one of his key uh, points and, and a bit of analysis was that, you know, he sees agritech as a key sector in which the UAE and Israel can learn from each other and work together and, and develop solutions together. What do you think about that? And how much do you know about that sector that, in Israel? Um, Dorian is a wonderful person, um, which I have met and, and I have known. Um, um, I think really Israel is, is, is a fascinating case study for me, looking into all what they went through um, for so many reasons and how they managed to use that as a tool to accelerate growth. And you see amazing startups uh, from Israel and, and unicorn stores as well. You know, there's a lot of IPOs that went out from Israel. Um, some of them that a lot of people, they don't know, like even the Intel chips and, and laptops, <laughs> you know, there's so, so many that came out from Israel. It's so fascinating. And since the Abraham Accords, I was not able to visit and I really wanted to go and, and meet some of the companies. I managed to meet them here in the UAE, but it's different when you actually go and see the farms and see the technology. Now we do have a lot of, of, of information and we have our own technologies, but it's always good to collaborate so important and israel have 60 percent similar not very not 100 but similar desert um, um 
nature in, in Israel. And that means they, they do have, um, the rest is, is 40% is mountains and um, um, what do they call valley lands. So you can actually grow in them. So there's a good, great potential for agriculture. Um, with their growth population as well, they're looking into technology and it's fascinating. I can't wait for us to finally be able to travel and exchange these information because I can actually see a lot of fruitful collaborations um, from it. Yeah, I think when you can actually go there and see it, you know, even in technology, Zoom calls are great. Um, but I think, you know, going there and actually seeing some of these solutions and, and, you know, particularly the vertical farming, I'm not even sure what that looks like physically. So I mean, I think I've seen it once or twice, but yeah, you know, I, I'm excited to see that at some point too. Um, connected into all of this, I also wanted to ask you about COVID-19 um, because, you know, we've, we've been through it for quite some time now. And I think... I, I've looked at food security in the past. I, I used to be based in the Levant where, you know, there's lots of water issues and, 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 and crop issues. Um, but COVID-19 really accelerated this discussion on states having uh, diversified access to sources of food. Um, and of course, the UAE almost has, has uh, policymakers all over the world were already looking at it for a number of years because some of its strategies uh, for ensuring its its food security. So do you think COVID-19 has pretty much accelerated this conversation and that technology, and not just diversifying imports and exports from different countries, technology will play more of a role and, and increasingly states will look to build up their own capacity, even if they are, as you, as you hinted at, you know, based in the desert with, with some key challenges in terms of production uh, previously causing issues there? COVID-19... Um, is the most uh, controversial topic because you can, I see people say what a great thing it was. And I see people, of course, they went through horrible experiences. They lost family members. Um, the people lost their businesses. Um, it's been catastrophic to so many. And some people, they tell you they, they learned from life and they uh, kind of bloomed and, and you know it, it made them learn things because of, us, we decided our hectic life doesn't allow us to have the time to do certain things. It's not because of COVID. It's because of us choosing that. COVID forced us to go back to um, taking our time, um, slowing down a bit and learning. And um, that's the only thing that I, I would say with the positive aspect of COVID, but coming to the topic and how it affected. Now, COVID-19 had definitely an impact on our lives. From my point of view, the planet managed to have a breather because of the lockdown. Everyone was sitting at homes, not traveling. That allowed the planet to have a bit of time to breathe. And you know, when you get sick and you have a flu, that's when you're trying to recover that, that's the weakest you are because all your body is trying to focus on your recovering. And the planet was going through that. And what we did, once we got the chance to go back to normal, we went back full-fledged. Yeah. And that's why temperatures did not decrease. That's why we have this increase in temperature because the planet was trying to recover and we just took advantage of that. I know we did not know that the planet was, but there was really good signs of giving the planet a break. And then we went back to normal. The planet did not like it. Now, how does that affect us? Some governments realized, well, when there is no logistics, I don't have food. I don't have goods. 
we were so lucky in the UAE, we actually have infrastructure and we have factories. So we have our own bread and we have our own flour and we have our own products that allowed us to have certain aspects. And then there's the other aspect of political. You know, we have great relationships with countries that allowed us to have a lot of goods as well being available in the market. In other markets, they really struggled. Uh, they couldn't um, have certain produce available. Um, and we know that. We've seen that on the TV. We've seen that in the news. All of that, what does it teach us? If we're not kind to the planet, the planet can actually react. Now, I think those points on COVID-19 and how the world reacted and what we learned from it are really relevant. And I know there's a phrase that encapsulates some of what you were just talking about, which is the circular economy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Because obviously a lot of the listeners are from the technology technology industry, and it's not something that, that probably most of the audience are that familiar with. So what is the circular economy and why do you think it's interesting and important? Circular economy is, is a very interesting uh, and, and very important aspect, yes, especially in technology, because every technology includes some sort of manufacturing, whether you're putting together a motherboard, you're putting chips together, you name it. There is sort of kind of element of assembling, manufacturing, putting things together, or even getting rid of certain things. So what does circular economy means and how important it is for us? It has a huge impact. Some of the biggest corporations, I don't I need to give example, biggest corporations have invested in circular economy by reducing waste, reusing, recycling. So all the anything that is involved in the business can't be a waste. That waste can be reused or recycled. There's other aspects of using uh, renewable energy. So there is um, zero factories. So they have zero emissions because they don't use electricity. They use renewable energy. And what does that mean? That means the carbon footprint for that factory is almost nil. And when they combine that with reusing and recycling, the impact is just immense because think of big corporations, without mentioning names, the biggest corporations that produces goods for us that we buy from the supermarket, when they consider that in their packaging and their logistics and their manufacturing, it has a huge impact on our lives, on, on, on the environment, on the planet. And this is why circular economy is very important. Once the big corporations are responsible for 40% of the carbon emission, these big corporations, if they do that, then everyone have to follow because a smaller company would, would say, why should I do it if the big corporations are not doing it? But they actually are doing it. And it's easier for small and medium companies to, to embed because big corporations have more employees, more factories, more space for them to build in and embed circular economy, but for small and medium enterprises, it's easier to do it. And government have a role as well to incent, uh, kind of not only incentives, but it's also the policies and the regulations to allow um, uh, recognition for those uh, who are doing it. Because uh, I do believe in the carbon credit and how it will have an impact in the future. We need to build that and governments have that role. If the governments don't believe in it, we're doomed. So governments really have to believe it. It's very important. They will lay the path for the companies to follow. Yeah, and that kind of links into to some of what you were saying about learning learning from COVID nineteen. How do you what do you, in terms of policies? Because that is something we talk about now and again. Do you think that incentives, things like carbon credits, 
are a good way forward rather than saying, you know, we will tax you if you don't have these correct policies or, you know, here are a thousand pieces of paperwork that your the 24-year-old entrepreneur has to fill in before he or she can start the eco or upcycling, uh, you know, startup. What kind of incentives um, can government create to, you know, um, allow things like the Gaia capsule or allow an entrepreneur in the UAE to start looking at, you know, I want to build my own battery. It takes a lot of guts to already do that. And do you think there's a way to say, hey, we know that's a challenge, but you can also do it in a way that is circular and is sustainable and that is smart going forward? Um, it is, um, it's not easy. When you're trying to develop something that doesn't exist, John, it's not easy. People don't understand you. And you speak to different people, government or private, it doesn't matter. They only see what's good for them. They only see what's going to benefit them. They don't see the biggest, the big image, you know, the biggest impact. That's maybe even bigger than their impact. You know, they think mm. about, oh, you're going to do rene renewable energy. What about my grid? Oh, you're going to do batteries. What about my batteries? But your batteries use lithium. Ours doesn't. It's environmental. Right. What work together you know it is funny isn't it you know we often we often fear change or, or we don't change until we absolutely have to um yeah there's a there's a there's a there's a great quote about that you know about, about the Amer american economy that you know often takes forever to do something until the very last moment and then you know the change can possibly happen um sure. But yeah, Alanud, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, the Futurist is a very, very interesting company, uh, and we look forward to having you on the podcast, hopefully again in 2022, to see how things have developed. Inshallah. Thank you, John. It's really amazing to be speaking, and I hope we inspire people and maybe collaborate with some. You never know. Thanks again. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Alboaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboaba Business, syndication distribution on Alboaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.